Hi, friends. Do you like Primus? <laughs> Do you like putting nine-inch nails through your eyelids? Uh, welcome to the program. My name is Dean. Nice to see you. That is my friend. Scott Trey, do you remember that song, that Eminem song? Hi, kids. Yeah. You like Primus? It's you great. put nine-inch nails through one of your eyelids. You remember? What that? made you think of it? I don't know. Every time I say hi, kids, I go back to like an Eminem song. Oh. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. Hi, kids. Do you like Primus? Every time I would say that to my kids when they were growing up, we're like, what the fuck are you talking about? My kids are like seven. Like, hi, <laughs> kids. Do you like Primus? Mine's like, what are you talking? What is Primus, Dad? <laughs> and then my kids figured out what Primus was. It was a band, like this kind of funk rock band, punk funk rock band. Uh, they had a song called Winona's Big Brown Beaver, if you remember that correctly. And they got a real kick out of that when they were like 12. They're like, oh, yeah, Primus, I did. You like that song? <laughs> I don't even know. didn't get too much radio play. No, it really didn't, which is a shame because it was like one of the, one of the great punk rock tunes of all time. And I remember thinking to myself when I heard Primus's Big, Winona's Big Brown Beaver, because it was about, you know, Winona Ryder. It, it was. And, I don't know anything about that area of her body. Like, I know nothing about that area of her body. But I remember thinking to myself, very bold decision. Uh, because you're basically saying at the time, right, when that song came out, at the time, you're basically saying no one's ever going to say the name of the song on the air. No one's ever going to play it. And if they do, it'll be like at midnight. So these guys are never going to make any money. That was back when radio would dictate, because you're Scotty's in radio, Scott Trades from the Hot Wallet podcast. Uh, financial educator, market guy, um, and stockmarketmentor.com also was in radio for a long time. So it's a little inside radio stuff. Uh -huh. But I remember thinking at the time, fuck, one of the all-time great songs because I got it on a demo, but we'll never play it, which is a real cry and shame. And I did play it at like 8 o'clock in the morning and almost got fired once. <laughs> I had That's to. That's what I always loved about your show, man, is yeah. you never knew what was going to happen. And, uh, you know, I grew up listening to you on the radio out of Toronto because I'm from Ontario originally. And, you know, I remember your first first day on the radio, Dean. I really do remember that as like something new because it was like, whoa, who's this new guy on this station I like? And, and uh, you know, was able to listen to you for many years. And you were always uh, an inspiration to a lot of us in the business because you kind of had a uh, you know, uh, an attitude was like, well, whatever, I'm just going to make great radio and whatever that takes, I'm going to make it. And whether or not I get in trouble, this is what great radio sounds like. And so always interesting uh, when you would kind of uh, break the format a little bit and have fun. Yeah. Um, when was that? It was like 2001. Where were you? Where were you in 2001? Uh, so I grew up in Curtis, Ontario. Oh my uh, God. Did you really? Yeah. You're just outside of the GTA. Like just about yeah, an hour yeah, outside yeah. of the GTA goes like, you know, you on the 401 for anybody listening who wants to know how the Toronto highway systems works and where all, <laughs> yeah. all of the different hamlets are. It goes Toronto and then you get like, you know, Scarborough. Scarborough kind of bleeds into like Markham. And then, you know, you, you get if you take the 407, it's a totally different deal. But then it goes like Pickering, Ajax, Oshawa, Curtis, if you will. That's right. And Curtis isn't spelled like Curtis's name. It's like Cortice. It's the most fucked up way to spell Curtis of all time. <laughs> yeah. So you're a Curtis guy. 
right? That's right. Yeah. I mean, I, did, I, I grew up there, but I, I, I grew up in Ajax for a lot of my life from kindergarten to grade eight. And then I moved to Coburg for a bit. Uh, and yeah. then I moved to Curtis for most of my high school life. Uh, met my now wife uh, in high school there. And uh, yeah, it's a nice little, it was a nice little community. You know, I look now and like the housing prices are just insane uh, for what you get for the size compared to here in Alberta. And so, you know, anything on that corridor, I just can't believe uh, the housing prices. Every time we go home to visit family, they're always like, oh, yeah, that house over there, that's a that's a million dollar home now. And you're like, what? Yeah. But it's because it's close to the 401. Absolutely, dude. It's the most messed up city in the world. And housing <laughs> prices here are insane. So 2000, that was what, 2001? Uh, and then you're you're how old in 2001? Well, so when did you get started on the 2001? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, like so, sometime in April, April or May 2001. Yeah, so like I would have just been maybe 18, 19, yeah. I think around there. Oh, you're a kid. I was 28. Yeah. So what are you? You're 40. You're barely uh, yeah, 40. 41 now. 41. Yeah. 41. Retired from radio. He's a stock market mentor. Scott Trades <laughs> is now like a financial guy. You've had like two of the weirdest like career swings ever. But 41. And then anyway, so 18, 19, you started listening to me on the radio in your teens, 18, 19. Yeah. And then that please tell me because this is what i'm trying to get to please tell me that i didn't inspire you to get into radio at that age i was already inspired i saw the howard stern movie and i said oh wait you just That's have to me. go to college and then they put you on the radio yeah sign me up and so i had started kind of started doing that and and uh you know went to loyalist college uh in belleville which they actually just closed up their radio program they're no longer offering a radio only program it's probably basket into like a multimedia kind of whatever technology program now. Yeah. Uh, but the the college that I went to, it launched the first ever college radio station, licensed college radio station in Canada, which then allowed other colleges and universities to copy their application, give it to the CRTC. And then they were able to launch like Humber Radio and all these other radio stations. But Belleville, Ontario and Loyalist College was the first one. And my dad went there for something and and i was like oh i can get a bursary for going there you're gonna give me a couple thousand dollars just because my dad went sign me up free money i'm into it and so alumni yeah yeah, yeah. so it worked out and uh you know great school great teachers i'm still in touch with some of the profs from there uh but yeah and and like i said growing up understanding radio understanding formatic radio and then listening to someone like dean blundell on the radio who seems to be breaking all of the rules was always really exciting to me growing up so you know, I appreciate it when you would say, screw you, program director. I'm playing this song anyways. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, I had a habit of doing that and they let me do it for like 15 years. But it's fascinating because I don't talk about radio very much anymore. I think you can sit and get all resentful uh, when you talk about the industry, because it really was. I mean, it kind of got outed as like, OK, what are we fucking doing here over the past like, you know, <laughs> 10 years with everybody being able to do all of this from their home with a hundred dollar microphone and a camera. Right. Yeah. Like everybody can kind of do whatever you can communicate. And of course the internet and online. But I remember like it was 2001, 2002. And I don't think people understand like millennials, maybe some Gen Z's or, you know, whatever, Gen Y, whatever the fuck. I don't know who's the, what Gen you are. In, in Gen, in, in, people that didn't grow up with like the three pillars of media, right? Which was TV, mm -hmm. print, radio. Radio was always like the bastard child of all three major portions of like traditional media and radio people would always be like 
oh, we should, I hope someone writes, like if someone wrote an article about a radio guy or a radio station, and trust me, there are several out there about me um, <laughs> for a variety of reasons. It was a big deal, like huge deal. Same thing with television, right? So we always tried to hijack television shows successfully, specifically morning radio television shows, other morning TV shows. Mm-hmm. We like to send like people in rat costumes to do things like masturbate in the window, just stuff like that. We like to shake it up, if you will. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was like earth shaking, like con- conflictual content or like audio of people screaming back then, if you think about it, mm-hmm. or like a radio guy conducting some kind of operation to get on television back then. Like this, this was a big deal, mm-hmm. like a huge deal. And then if you consider the fact that there were only three ways to get information back there, like, and I remember two years into my tenure in Toronto when I was at the edge, my friend Ben Mulroney came up to me and he's like, you ever hear this thing called the Blackberry? (laughs) And I'm like, no, what is it? He's like, phone, but it's the internet on your phone. It's going to change everything. Sure enough. And then all of a sudden you get the iPhone, which is the second thing of the iPod. Mm -hmm. And And I didn't at the time realize, like I had no idea how diminutive radio would become. Like, Basically, all of those. Like, I, I knew the internet was going to swallow radio. Like, I had, I totally knew it, but I didn't know it, right? Like, you're like, oh, we can't compete with on demand, and someone's going to send something on your phone. And how do, how do you listen to the radio on your phone? Like, how do you stream? Streaming wasn't even a word back then. Mm-hmm. That's how old I am. You're not that old. You might be, but that's how old I am. And so now, when I think about the influence that, you know, idiots like me had doing morning shows where you're getting people to dress up like elephants to jerk off on morning television. It's and, and having that be like front page news the next day or all that people talked about the next day, because you couldn't get anything you wanted anytime you wanted on your phone. You remember that? It was like mm-hmm. slim pickings. I think now to the fact that radio schools like yours are closing up their programs. And I'm like, well, of course, Right. Because we're shocked into that kind of entertainment every single day when we open up an app. You know what I mean? Like, we're, we, we see it all the time. It's like we were desensitized to excitement. It's like we're desensitized mm-hmm. to that mode of information where people were really important. People were asking you to excite them in the morning on their drive because they didn't have anything else to listen to. They weren't distracted by their phones. Dude, I didn't even have a cell phone till 2008, 2009. (laughs) So it was like I was in the moment all the fucking time, which you have to be if you do that job, right? So it's amazing when you say Loyalist College closed their radio thing. I'm like, well, of course, like all of our habits have changed. Nothing shocks anybody anymore. And that kind of radio doesn't exist anymore, probably because of me. Probably. Well, I, I do think it was a moment in time. And, you know, it feels like the Internet has dematerialized everything. Uh, some may actually say that it made broadcast better because you think of all the great podcasting that's out there now, all the great storytelling that's out there now, and the data that we can get from people listening and watching. We know exactly when people are watching and how much of their attention we have because we can measure it digitally now where we couldn't do that before. And so while I do believe uh, you know, it, it is harder to get attention right now, I, I think that the content that we are consuming is so much more powerful and moving uh, than it was back in the day where it was just radio, TV, and uh, and print. And, and, you know, if anything, Dean, th- those tricks that you played back in the day, 
they wouldn't get that much attention nowadays. No, because there's that's so what I'm much more desensitized. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So it is, it is, but it's harder. But that means that people have to work harder. The content has to be better, mm -hmm. and I think ultimately the consumer is is the winner of, of all of that. Do you think? Do you think that's why? That's why radio, television, by and large, sucks so hard right now. Is because they can't be as good as the people that have to be better than that online? I think it's because they're all trying to be too, bro too broad. You know, I mean, you think about what makes successful media now. And, uh, you know, I'm ha having a conversation with someone a couple of days ago and they came over and they're complaining, oh, the mainstream media never covers this. And, you know, they're bashing the mainstream media. Yeah. And I said, well, here's why. Here's how the mainstream media works. The mainstream media is all about finding an audience. And then the idea is to super serve that audience so that you have their ears and their eyeballs at all times. And so, of course, it seems like every facet of the media has a bias. It's not that they have a bias. They have an audience that they're trying to feed. They know that audience is there. They can measure that audience. They can sell that audience. And they just want to super serve that audience. That's exactly what Fox News does. They have a, a, a slice of the population that believes a certain thing, and they're just going to pour into that as much as they can because they know as if many they do, monosyllabic words as they can. As much Fox as they News. can because they know they'll have their eyeballs. And what can yeah. they do with those eyeballs? They can sell them. They can sell those eyeballs to to advertisers and enrich themselves. And so that's what I think a lot of people need to think about when it comes to the mainstream media and especially radio. Now, they're all trying to cast this wide net. And unfortunately, in a world where everything is on demand, I feel like that's the wrong idea. You need to find a niche, find an audience and super serve them, become their number one source. And then you have a successful media platform, podcast, show, whatever it is. Yeah, it's a target demo, right? And it's funny because I think in radio back in the day, this is, in, again, inside radio, but this is literally how radio stations and companies that own them would figure out what they wanted to do. They would look in the marketplace and they would target people according to their musical likes. Mm -hmm. So that's just a subject on the internet now, music, by the way. It's a yeah. subject on the internet like anxiety, mental health, uh, you know, home building, any kind of niche podcast you get, whether it's like your favorite philosophy, maybe it's like religious, maybe it's like it is AI, crypto, like all the different podcasts you have to your point, people are that hyper-focused. Back then, again, to your point, it was so broad. You're like, okay, we're going to target people and we're going to pick a format for this radio station. We're going to relaunch this radio station. We're going to do a study and we're going to find out what music is missing in this marketplace and then we're going to do that mm -hmm. and then underneath that person that likes that kind of music let's say it's country we're going to hyper focus our target demo on like you know 25 to 54 year olds men or women and they would be so granular about that broad idea they would literally do you have a cardboard cutout of your like ideal listener in your studio did you ever do that they had this in our studio yeah like, get that fucking thing out of here a whiteboard we'd have a whiteboard yeah. his name is frank he yeah. liked this he goes here so fucked like it's yeah. so fucked now because as to your point you don't have to be that broad you get instant measurements with podcasting and digital content online content you can literally hyper focus your stuff to a guy with one arm who loves abba 
and hate slippers. <laughs> and you can hyper-focus that podcast, that content, that portal to that person. And that person is so specific that they're like radicalized for your stuff because they're like, I didn't know this existed out there for me. I had no idea. That's how people are chopping up interest demos when it comes to content. Radio can't compete with that. Like you can't yeah. put a radio station online that's that hyper-focused, right? You have to have the best analysis. You have to have the best communicators that have the ability to target a culture now. And that's why we have the Fox Newses of the world, which I find fascinating. And so when you think about it, and I, I'd love your thoughts on that. I don't what didn't he mean to get into radio to start this fucking podcast? That's okay. It's fun, man. Yeah, I like talking about it. If you think about it, don't you think the next step for any traditional media is doing what Fox News did, but up here in Canada, and I see it all the time with things like Sun News, but in radio, don't you think they're going to do away with formats just to, just to, so they can keep the lights on? And, Here's what I think go, they You know what? Do. Let's go after a culture of people. Let's culturally focus this radio station and hammer away at them with digital content that we can put from our ecosystem onto that radio station because, well, we don't want to have to actually pay live people either. hundred <laughs> percent. And that's uh, what I was going to say is that's, that's what I think they should do. They need to yeah. hyper-focus and then they, they need to say to every one of their hosts, what's an interest within this umbrella that you can own? So like, like, let's say it's crypto, for example. Okay, we're going to have a Bitcoin-only podcast. Then we're going to have an Ethereum podcast. Then we're going to have a Solana podcast. And, and that's what I think is the future for media, where you have a bit, of a, a bit of an umbrella for radio. Let's say radio, for example. And then every host under that umbrella needs their own specific interest that they can become a local expert on that people can then go to if they want to get more. Oh, yeah. you, you know, you really like the band Nirvana. You got to talk to our Nirvana expert. He knows everything about the band and he's got a great podcast for you to check out this weekend. And you know, his name isn't Alan Cross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's what I think should happen. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not in the industry anymore, though. I have had a few job offers to get back in. You know, I just, I just, uh, haven't, uh, haven't been in a position where, uh, that's as lucrative as it as it may. You want to throw your whole life away again? You mean for a, a shot in the dark at maybe some sustainable pool employment in a dying industry? Is that why you haven't taken up those offers? Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm just <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 No, but it's it's an interesting conversation, right? Because like that's what's going to happen. You're going to have to go to big big markets because there's no way you're going to be successful. Going, you know what? Prog rock. That's our new format. Uh, you know what? More easy listening because people have a choice. Like the habits, going back to the whole idea that habits mean everything to people in media, and they do, right? There's a reason why people would get up, open up the, the newspaper, and read the entertainment section, have a cup of coffee, get in their car, turn on the radio, listen to their favorite segment, not get out of the car for those segments. There's a reason why, you know, you would benchmark features, meaning you would do something at a certain time every day because you want people coming back. You were asked to create habits for your users, your listeners back then. That was what you did. Now appointments. Yeah, appointment listening. That's what they used to call it. Now it's like, dude, you just have to fucking feed into someone's psyche. That's what you have to do. You have to feed into what people love the most. And if you go after the crazies, they'll really engage with you. And we mm -hmm. see that all the time, whether it's like religious programming, whether it's alt-right programming, uh, and get people to fight, right? They, they get, it literally, 
is such a different world that we live in where the biggest podcasts in the world are true crime podcasts that are just full of like, that's when Susie stabbed everybody at the dinner party. Like it's <laughs> yeah. like people are just looking for the, no one's looking for generalists. No one's looking for real information anymore. No one's looking to have a, a light time on the way to work. Everybody's like driving to work on, you know what? I'm going to listen to my podcast on extreme anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder on my drive down the DVP to work for, <laughs> yeah. for an hour and a half in the morning. Right? Like that's lit. And, and I give us credit. But I also look back at our, our, my time in media, specifically my time on the radio. I'm like, we did none of these things. Mm. Like, you know, we would tell fart jokes and throw coins at people's heads and get them to tell us how much how much that coin was when it would hit them in the head. Like we would have like, you know, puppetry of the penis shows. We would do, you know, indoor sex competitions like, you know, that was that was what we did. That you There is no podcast like that out there. Mm-hmm. There's no like shocking radio fun Howard Stern Blundell Man Cow sort of brand that exists in the podcast network. Do you know why? Because it's not shocking anymore. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares. So to your point, you you know, for that industry to survive, they're going to have to get a whole bunch smarter and follow what people are doing in this format. Absolutely. And I wish that the the people that were in charge, you know, the higher ups. When you and I were in the industry, Dean, I wish they had the foresight to see how big this type of media that we're creating right now, you know, prepackaged podcasts or whatever. I wish they would have seen that and said, Dean Blundell, what's your favorite interest outside of this? And you would have said, well, I like male synchronized swimming. And then great. Okay, here you just do a podcast about male synchronized There's swimming. There's no such thing as male synchronized swimming, but I love how you low key tried to make <laughs> me look like I like watching guys swim together in speedos. Thank I'm you. not, I don't know that there isn't that. So in my I know mind, it still exists. All right. Um, you know what I mean, though? But yeah. find a topic that isn't this, and then we want you to just create the best content you can about that while you're not doing your radio show. And really kind of nurture that creativity because I always found like all they cared about was are your breaks 45 seconds long? Are you talking over too much of the music? Like just shut up, read the liner and get back to the music. And instead, what I think they should have done, those higher ups in radio that got paid millions and millions of dollars to tell the rest of us in small market radio what to do. I wish they would have seen that the foresight to say, you know what? Actually, we want you to be creative. And here's an online outlet that you can do it. And we're going to pay you to do that because we know that that will continue to drive advertising dollars and views to the website as opposed to, you know, mention the website so people can put in their email and enter a contest. And then we can tell that client how many people we got. Mm. It was just like, to me, it's just crazy that no one in broadcast saw this. And everyone, even now, is just so caught off guard. And do you think, they can, do you the think same... they can go? Do you think they can do that now, though? Because I have conversations in, the, you know, in the radio industry, uh, as you probably mm-hmm. know, quite a bit with people from management standpoint or a strategic standpoint that have the ability to affect change in different companies, and they're all saying what you're saying right now, which is like, yeah, we we missed the boat. We have no idea how to double back and figure out a way to sink money into where everybody consumes things, right? Which is the internet, which is online, which is on your phone. How do we get that on people's phones? It's almost like they put their head in the sand and they'll say this. I had a conversation with an executive the other day, great guy. Uh, and he's like, yeah, we everybody missed the boat. We don't even know what to sell. 
anymore. Like, mm-hmm. our, you know, we're trying to be online, but we can't like we have no idea how to sell online because we're all radio people. And we pushed off the idea that this was going to eat our lunch. But online listening to podcasts is it dwarfs radio listening on a daily basis, dwarfs it now. You know, the revenue in that industry dwarfs the revenue in traditional media, specifically in radio and traditional radio. Like it's not even close. And I remember back in the day, guys are like, you know, there's going to be a time when radio will make less money than people podcasting. And we used to mock podcasting when I was on the radio. If you remember that, it was like, oh, he's got mm-hmm. a cute podcast. I don't mock it anymore. Not because I do it, but because analytically, this is a multi-billion dollar industry that has that is nothing but growth potential depending on where it goes, what you do with your algorithms, how, how addicted to you know making sure that you service keywords, hashtags, all that other stuff. If you're just following the rules of each platform, and you feed the algorithm, you're going to be successful, right? In radio, it's like, I don't know, if we get a billboard, maybe put that guy's face on a bus, and more people will listen. Like, I mean, literally. And you can't <laughs> yeah. measure anything on the radio either. Like, you, can't, you don't know who's listening to you and when. It's impossible. And it's, you know, it was all gamified to begin with. But now with the internet, you can, I can literally tell you to the area code, who's listening to us right now? And for how long and what that person makes a year, the area code with which they live, how many people are in their house. I can also tell you the average listener's salary that listens to this podcast. I can tell you um, how many dogs some people have that listen to us. I can literally see people on crier.co, which is the host site of our media company. I can see people with their, and this is, it's called heat mapping. You can literally see it. It is so exact. You can watch. I could watch you go out over to Cryer Media and move your mouse, and I can watch you click on things. I can see what you're doing in real time. Traditional media can't do any of that stuff. It is mm-hmm. almost impossible to measure. So I don't know, man. Weird. I think they got to flip it. They got to flip the flip the playbook where the radio is just your way to advertise your digital online content, and then. That's what radio stations don't radio companies don't have online content because they've been ignoring this movement for the past 15 years. They're like, nah, it'll never happen. We're too big. We hold the keys to the economy. We hold everything. You don't, you don't have it anymore. To your point, they have to at some point. And some companies are, which is why I'm sitting here with guys like you going, I we're over here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I we're over here. You guys, because this is real, right? You can measure this. This is like, and you have people that know how to do all of it. Like this isn't back in the day when you'd go on the radio and you'd, you'd sneak in there at six o'clock in the morning, do a morning show till nine thirty, ten 10 o'clock, have 14 cups of coffee, talk about your nuts for a good hour and a half, maybe do some traffic. Someone give you about a million <laughs> bucks and then you go home, right? Then that doesn't exist anymore. It's like you get up at six o'clock in the morning, you map out your day, you schedule all of your social media content, then you'll go and timestamp yesterday's podcast, and then you'll make sure that everybody that's involved in your brand has their marching orders that day. And then you'll schedule a podcast with a friend of yours named Scott Trades at Scott Trades on Twitter. You can find him hot wallet is the name of his <laughs> podcast. And then you'll do that. And then after your podcast is done, you'll go and timestamp that. And then you'll make sure that you've got your descriptions down and your keywords in and all that other stuff. Dude, I used to stroll in at five to six 
have 15 cups. I wasn't kidding. 15 cups of coffee with hazelnut creamer. <laughs> and I'd beat it at like 10 o'clock. And I yeah. wouldn't even think about my day for the rest of the day. Like nothing. I wouldn't do nothing. Nothing. That is like. It, and, I mean, and you, you say that, Dean, but I know that there's a lot of prep that goes into producing a Toronto radio no, morning nothing. show. I did yeah, nothing. Okay. okay. <laughs> sure. No, I wielded every single day. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. There is a ton, but like you, you understand what I mean. Like you understand the workload that you carry yeah. around today, as opposed to the workload that you used to carry around. It was more stress than work, right? Yeah, because you couldn't manage your day. Now, when you do this kind of content, you can manage your day, which is another upside for people that are really good at content or have an ability to do this. No one tells you that you took too many breaths or you popped your peas. Mm-hmm. Nobody yeah. tells you that you're not worth what they're paying you. Like you, you go out and you eat what you kill, right? That is the benefit of this industry. And it's interesting because that industry is petrified of it. And as opposed to fighting all of us with regulations and shit, I don't know why they don't just come on partner with us. The Dean Blundell show is brought to you by factcheck.io factcheck.io makers of the world's most comprehensive fact checking software, that have been very busy building some software so that you can fact check anything that you read. It doesn't matter if it's got a URL, you'll be able to fact check it. Alternative sources, origins, whether or not it was an organic or inorganic campaign, whether or not you can trust the people that are putting out the information so that you can give yourself agency over information in the age of disinformation. Again, want to beta test their product? They're going to launch it in the next month or two. Go to factcheck.io today. F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K. .io. Back to the show. As always, the Dean Blundell Show is brought to you by our friends at factcheck.io. Factcheck.io. Do you believe? The good people at FactCheck are a quorum of software professionals, psychological professionals, journalists that have been very busy building some software so that you can fact check anything that you read. It doesn't matter if it's got a URL, you'll be able to fact check it. Alternative sources, origins, whether or not it was an organic or inorganic campaign, whether or not you can trust the people that are putting out the information and alternative sources. And there's going to be a weapon button too, where you can turn that information around and put it back out there accurately to combat disinformation. The good people at factcheck.io are right now testing their beta version of their free program. Yes, it will be free for anybody who wants to use it. They want to battle disinformation because it is a problem. Go to factcheck.io today. F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K.io. F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K.io. The world's most robust fact-checking disinformation software for news, social media, video, print, anything spoken word. These people are on the tip. And they use some of the finest software technology to be able to give you the advantage when it comes to getting agency back in your life, when it comes to information that you read. Go to factcheck.io today for more information. Sign up for the beta test, F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K.io. Yeah. And, and the, the thing is, I know that there's a ton of really smart people that are still in there. It's just I wish that they would be a little more open to let's flip the script. Let's try something new and then see how it goes. Uh, but that's a scary thing. You know, I know that there's millions of dollars at stake. I know how the business works. Uh, it's always a risk. It's easier to play mainstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, you know, I know that there's a few, a handful of really creative people that are still in there that are trying to do great things in radio. Uh, it's just, you know, from my perspective, it's hard 
to, to see myself in that while it's in the state that it's in now. You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of how I look at it. But it uh, doesn't matter because I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to the moon. We're riding the Bitcoin bull and uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, Bitcoin's <laughs> When it's bad. all done, I'll be able to buy my own radio station and uh, go from there. Yeah, please. Uh, <laughs> please hire me to do it. Um, Bitcoin's back in a big way, isn't it? I know. And, and listen, for everybody that's listening to us, kind of wax about uh, how old school radio bullshit and, and the new school and habits and all that stuff. Yeah, we didn't mean any of that, but we had fun doing it. You were on to talk about Bitcoin. Bitcoin's on a ride. We've got other Bitcoin news because Sam Bankman-Fried's going to jail for about 131 years. So that'll be fun. And I want to talk about that. Uh, And I also want to talk about an article I read on Medium that basically said Bitcoin came out in 2014. It was called Ponzi coin. And uh, they took it off for a very specific reason. And this is a Ponzi scheme. And I know that you don't like hearing those words, but in any opportunity, there's always opportunity to make money. There's always upside. So I get that part of it. But why is Bitcoin back? Just Bitcoin. I know there are a couple of coins that are back, but Bitcoin itself, last time I talked to you was like 26,000. What is it? 47, 45? Uh, Where are we at? So I deal in American dollars. Um, And so uh, the Bitcoin right now is 34,000 American dollars. I don't know what that is in Canadian. I I don't have it up on on my chart. 47. uh, but it is up well over 100% since the beginning of January. All you had to do was buy Bitcoin every time Dean tweets something negative about Bitcoin, and you would have made tens of thousands of dollars. That's Sorry, buddy. I had to. I had to. <laughs> That's what everybody I see, said to me. Today. I see your tweets. I screenshot <laughs> them. And when I'm at the Porsche dealership, I'm going to tweet all those out and then a picture of my new car. Well, um, dude, it was it's because like Pierre Polyev, who's like the most know, loathed politician in this country, like he told everybody back before the crash, like a year ago, he's like, if you want to stave off inflation, take your life savings and drive it into digital currency. And then, and when then everybody would have lost it, it. It went down. So yeah, I so, find it very funny because it revisionist history and the guy's a total cock. But I get it, man. I get it. Point, and I don't. Anytime I reply to you, just so you know, on Twitter, it's always with a little smirk because I, I know. know I know the whole thing with Pierre Polyev, and I know that there are instances where people lost money trading digital currency, and that mm-hmm. always sucks. And, you know, that's unfortunately just how markets work, whether you're trading stocks, you're trading options, you're trading. I mean, we've all seen Wall Street bets and those people who lose tens of thousands of dollars by trying to trade options around earnings. And so, yeah, if you're in the market, I always say don't gamble with more money than you're you're willing to lose. And so I get that there are people that lost money through the downturn. Uh, but since the beginning of year of the year, Bitcoin is the best performing asset of the year. The best per- and crypto is the best performing asset class of the year where, you know, the Nasdaq, it just started to bounce recently because the Federal Reserve uh, basically came out to say that they're stu- they didn't say it, but they're not they're not going to raise interest rates anymore. And so when that happens, the market then prices in future cuts. And so we're seeing the market kind of rebound this week and we're seeing Bitcoin kind of hold up around that thirty five thousand U.S. dollar range. And so uh, the reason it's coming back is just because it was I, I, I believe is because it was punished so heavily. Uh, you know, we did see like it during fall. the FTX thing and during the Luna thing and during the like Doge is down 55. It was it was a These real a lot of storm. fucking coins zeroed out at the same time. Right. Yeah, it was a real perfect storm because not only did we have the U.S. Federal Reserve and central banks around the world jack up interest rates at the fastest rate in human history. Interest rates have never gone up to the speed that they've gone up before 
now. Mm -hmm. And so that is bad for just risk assets generally. Uh, we saw stocks like PayPal, Square, and then the other, you know, heavy tech, heavy risk asset drop sometimes 85, 90%. And of course, Bitcoin being speculative, speculative and being, you know, further down the risk curve, those things always get hit the worst. It doesn't matter what market cycle we're in, the most speculative stuff always gets crushed the worst. And so we did see a, you know, a 95% pullback in some of these tokens. Uh, there's one called Solana. It hit a low of $8, uh, at, you know, when it was at the low and just yesterday it hit $47. And so that's well up over 500% from the low Bitcoin up over hundred percent, et cetera, et cetera. And so now we're seeing the market kind of look forward and price in a few interesting things. So in the next couple of months, we're going to get a spot Bitcoin ETF in the United States for the first time ever. Uh, with the U.S. being the financial capital of the world, uh, a lot of money could potentially come into the Bitcoin space. And so I'm just imploring everyone to watch this space over the next couple of months, six months, because we're going to get a lot of really interesting catalysts where we have uh, about eight different ETF providers bringing spot Bitcoin ETFs to the market. And then next year, we're also going to have the Bitcoin halving, which means miners are going to be selling less into the market. Most of the selling that's happening right now with Bitcoin is miners, people who are using electric power to generate uh, Bitcoin tokens. They then sell that into the market and that's how they make money. And so in April of next year, we're going to have the halving and essentially the, the reward that these miners are going to get is cut in half. And so that's good for Bitcoin. That's good for the network because less sell pressure and it means it's, it's an even more scarce asset. So that's what's happening with Bitcoin. Okay. So I understood roughly 33.3% of what you just said. <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. Yeah. No, I want to go back. Okay. Because because it's like Stephen Hawking when anybody talks about like Bitcoin in my mind. Stephen Hawking could say anything because he was considered the smartest guy in the world, even though he was in a wheelchair in a in a diaper. <laughs> like even I get it. He would say shit and people would be like, it's brilliant. I'm like, I, I really? Because like, are we going to be living on Venus one day? Like, is that is that cool? <laughs> like existential Venus? Are we, are we going there together? Because he could say anything. He was that smart and you wouldn't know what he said. Same thing with Bitcoin. So you talk about miners using electricity to create Bitcoin. No idea what that is, but it's factoring into your idea that Bitcoin's going to be on the big rebound and there's a whole bunch of spot coins or whatever you call them coming to the market. Again, I don't even understand that. But what I do understand is, is that all the guys online that I've been roasting for losing everything from the past, like, you know, two to six months are coming for me with their fucking emojis with the bright eyes like the laser eyes you know what i mean they're like it's yeah, starting again it's and starting you do, again you do like the low-key shit where you're like oh not a bad day for bitcoin and you'll share a graph btc and you'll tag me in it but there are people that are like uh dean i'm when i get uh, rich from this cycle of bitcoin because i bought all the dips i'm gonna buy you and turn you into like a like a statue <laughs> in front of my house because I mocked Bitcoiners that hard for such a long period of time because I like doing it because I don't understand it. It's so, fun, of course. Oh, of course it's fun. But it still remains that there's still really nothing to show for it, right? And I read a really interesting article on the back of Sam Bankman-Fried getting 
140,000 years in prison yesterday <laughs> uh, for a $32 billion write down and pure fraud. I want to get into that in just a second. Mm-hmm. But I had a, I had this like this epiphany where like I'm reading this article. I'm like, oh, everybody calls it a Ponzi scheme because whoever's in first gets paid first. And the goal is you got to keep people coming in at certain prices or you can't keep paying those old investors out, right? Is that not still the model behind all cryptocurrencies is to have the first people in on the coin, have them be the guys that are the the people that are driving this thing, big PR, whether it's Greg Foss, whether it's anybody else who's an influencer, because it's all about influencing, telling people that this is on the rebound. Are we not just seeing in my mind, are we not just seeing like, hey, if it's the same thing and everybody lost everything with the same thing, are we not just seeing another concerted effort to tell people that this isn't a Ponzi scheme? Or is there another reason that it's still the best performing asset in its class right now? So what we're seeing now, Dean, is we're seeing banks and institutions really start to develop blockchain technology. JP Morgan, which is one of the banks, one of the biggest banks in the world, they currently have an internal blockchain and they're using it and testing it. And it does about a billion dollars worth of transactions per day. What do you mean mean an internal blockchain? What is an internal blockchain? Explain that. You can't just uh, rip through that. Well, no. So they they use a blockchain, but it's not a public blockchain. So there's public blockchains and then there's private blockchains. And so a public blockchain would be like Bitcoin Mm -hmm. because it's an open source network. Anyone can access it. I can see the code. You can see the code Uh, with a private blockchain. It's internal. So it's like kind of like the difference between a business intranet and the Internet. So like this is a business Internet, oh, where it's their, it's their own access. little coin system where they can kind of shuffle shit around to each other inside their their institution. That's right. right? They can okay. send assets. No. Oh, I got to send these assets over here. Okay, let's use Boom. the JPM coin chain or whatever it's called. And so the the technology under the underlying technology is real, yeah. and there are, you know, admittedly probably about ten thousand, maybe a hundred thousand projects that are in blockchain that will probably end up not being anything and probably end up going to zero. And so you really want to, as an investor, focus on the ones that are the most institutionally supported, the ones that are probably gonna make it. And I'm talking, you know, it's easy. I tell people, keep it simple, watch Bitcoin, watch Ethereum, you know, check out Solana if you wanna go further down the risk curve and stuff like that. But these are real technologies that they're building. And, uh, and that's why they have value because people are using the network and transacting on the network. And, and as I've, excuse me, laid out in some of my free training that I've done for Crypto Market Mentor members. It's all about how many people are using the network and the amount of transactions on Mm. that network. And so Mm. that's what brings the value to Bitcoin. There are a lot of people who use the Bitcoin network on a daily basis to transfer value on an open permissionless network without the risk of a third party like a bank or an intermediary. So that's the real value proposition, Dean, is that I can send money to you from my crypto account, from my Bitcoin wallet to your Bitcoin wallet, and there's no banks involved. And the bet that people are making right now is that in the future, that's actually going to be really valuable because then I don't have to worry if Silicon Valley Bank crashes with my money inside because it's a trustless open network. Yeah, but isn't it also not at all regulated because it is DeFi? 
Well, there are regulations coming down. Like right it's, now. Well, there are, but isn't it largely totally not transparent? Like, like isn't uh, well, that no, why Bitcoin, we saw Sam Bankman-Fried go to jail forever? The blockchain is 100% transparent. You can see all of the transactions on there. And what is being regulated, what they can regulate, are the on-ramps and off-ramps, like the different exchanges, like right, Binance, right, right, right. FTX, for example, uh, and Coinbase. You know, the the, the banks or the, the uh, regulators can regulate that. They can ask you, okay, well, if you want to use Coinbase in Canada, you got to make sure to give us your license, you know, tell us what your address is, here's your tax information, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that kind of stuff is being regulated. And that's where I think that it's going to go. I think eventually banks and, and uh, major institutions are going to be the majority custodians of Bitcoin, blockchain, and, and all of these other tokens uh, that the government could then peer in on and see. Now, there is going to be probably a gray area as well, just like there's kind of a gray area of the Internet where illegal transactions may occur and stuff like that. I don't really pay attention to that stuff, so I don't know too much about it because I'm I'm more focused on you know the, the technology that's being built and then the regulations around it that will increase uh, the technology. Um, but that's kind of how I think about it. So I wouldn't say it's necessarily a Ponzi scheme. A Ponzi scheme uh, is something like a crypto called Safe Moon, where uh, you know they launch it and say, "Hey guys, welcome to our shitcoin. Uh, buy it all," and then the, the you know then the people dump all of the coins on the on the community and take all the money for themselves uh, where Bitcoin was organic. It didn't start in 2014. I haven't read that article that you're referencing. It did start in 20 and in, in 2008 after the financial crisis. Uh, the the uh, Satoshi white paper actually came out on Halloween 2008 and uh, and you can read it and, and see how the technology works. And so that's where Bitcoin started. Uh, that's my understanding of it. Um, well, maybe the exchange seen. started in 2014. Maybe that was it. Maybe there maybe... were people like, the, you know, you can watch Bitcoin documentaries and see that there were people trying to build exchanges. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was so, so early in the technology that no one was really ready. Regulators weren't ready. It was just, you know, funny inter magic Internet money that that uh, kids were messing with. And and they were really trying to crack down on it. And, and that's where you saw people like the Winklevoss twins get in early and try and do things. You know, people have terrible been trying fucking name to put if together the Winklevoss. Yeah, yeah. People have been trying name. to get a Bitcoin spot Bitcoin ETF and trying to get regulation for this asset class since, you know, since 2010, 2014, et cetera, like around mm. that time, because they see it as a viable technology. You know, mm. I, I don't think any of us really know where this is going to go. But as we're talking about with our radio conversation, when we were sitting there in front of with the Internet right in front of us, Dean, we didn't know where that was going to go. Totally. And so that's how I look at this. It's still fun well. to mock, but I totally agree with you. You know, and so this is an emerging technology. Yeah. yeah. You know, are are there criminals doing bad things? Of course there are. But there's also criminals doing bad things with email and phone scams still. And we still have phones and I still have a Gmail account. Doesn't matter how many how many spam emails I'm getting. I still use the technology because underlying it's still a solid technology and yeah. i think that's what's going to eventually come out with some of these blockchains where it's going to be just so integrated in our lives that we don't even know what blockchain or network we're using but we're just using the application that's built on top and that's where the users will really get value out of it because they're not going to know that 
Twitter is running on Solana. You know, they're just going to know I like Twitter and I'm using this app now, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So I think that that's eventually where it's going to go, where the applications that built that are built on top of the blockchains matter more than the actual chains themselves. But for an investor, if you want to kind of speculate on which networks you think are going to have that mass adoption, that's where you can get involved with crypto and, and kind of, you know, place your bet. And I've had this conversation with Ryan, uh, our, you know, one of our friends before. And, and I said, people like going to casinos, you know, people like betting on things. And that's how I look at investing in early stage technology, whether you're a venture capitalist or you're looking at the crypto space. I'm making a bet with my money saying, I like how this technology looks and I want to place my money there because I think this is going to actually garner a lot of attention in the future. Mm. You know, I don't invest for what's happening right now in the bear market. When Bitcoin was doing this, I was researching the network. Okay. Price is going down, but is the network still valid? Is it still good? Okay. Yeah. All of my work says it's still good. All right. I guess I'll buy some of this dip, even though Dean's bashing it on uh, Twitter every day. Okay. Yeah, but, yeah. Were there, okay, okay. Listen, was there ever a day though, where I was bashing it and you bought the dip and it dipped like for another 12 straight days where you're like, and I, and and then you saw my tweet where I'm like, oh, buy the dip, buy the dip. Where you're <laughs> no, like, there's never, I just never lost anything like that you said or anyone last, else like, said. I am fucking furious at him. Like, I <laughs> no. mean, that had that was a crazy ride though. Like, and, and it started really prior to Sam Bankman Freed uh, getting arrested and getting zeroed out. But I mean, that industry is full of people, right? Like every mm-hmm. industry when it comes to money. When your industry, when your money industry is full of people, it's obviously not going to be full of fucking awesome people, right? Um, Sam Bankman-Fried convicted, guilty, all seven counts of fraud, like thirty-two billion, thirty-two billion. This is in the FTX collapse. Uh, his girlfriend Caroline Ellison, real looker, uh, she basically zeroed him out on the stand, as well as all of the guys that worked with him, saying, "Hey, it all came mm-hmm. from him. He knew what he was doing. He screwed us over. He screwed over all the investors." is this not eh, how do you look at it how do you look at what sam bankman because he's going to go to jail apparently he's up on like he could get 101 years in prison which puts him out i believe at 132 (laughs) so uh, i actually think it's great i think it's great that he's going to jail i think it's great that this chapter is closing and i know that you know there's a lot of people in the industry right now that just want this put behind us because he does he never stood for what bitcoin stands for all sam bankman fried wanted to do was have influence get money and eventually become president of the united states that's all he cared about you know and and so he would do whatever he could to just maintain appearances you know he he would give tom brady a ton of money he'd do a ton of these uh ads like the one uh in the super bowl he sponsored the miami heat stadium like anything to really make it look like what he was doing was legitimate when uh you know behind the scenes everything that he was doing was actually not legitimate and so uh, again you know it, it i look at this as like oh thank god this is over and i think it's perfect because it's closing out as we lead into actual institutional support for bitcoin and digital assets with all of these spot etfs that are coming to the market and fully regulated uh, by the sec so i think that this is you know just the beginning of what is going to be a really interesting year and a half for crypto and bitcoin and i'm glad that the chapter of sam bankman fried is closing you know i said to someone today 
Well, of course you are, because it's so fucking hard to sell Bitcoin or sell like any education to Bitcoin when like every day the guy who tanked 32 billion uh, worth of Bitcoin, right? 32 billion in, in people's money in that industry is on is on trial. And every report that you see from that, it's like everybody's got an opinion on it and it's a very negative opinion. So this does close the chapter on that Wild West portion, but the perception war of Bitcoin is still there. Sorry, you said you, you said you were talking to somebody today. You said to someone. Today, oh no, don't no, mean no, that's interrupt. okay. Yeah. No, no, that's totally fine. Uh, and 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 that's just it. Yeah, you know, uh, I didn't love Sam Bankman-Fried even when everyone loved him. I understood. Okay, this is someone who is the head of a major exchange. There's other major exchanges out there like Coinbase and Binance. And okay, I know that. Uh, People like those, you know, they like the idea of a figurehead or a narrative when it comes to, you know, uh, attaining value. Like everyone looks at uh, Steve Jobs and uh, everyone looked at uh, Tim Cook and, you know, from Apple and whatnot. And so everyone looked at Sam Bankman Fried. It's like, oh, he's the white knight of crypto. He's the JP Morgan of crypto. I think Jim Cramer called him the JP Morgan of crypto. And uh, I just didn't like that because, again, the idea is decentralization, inclusion, and, and Bitcoin was never about one person. The person or people who created Bitcoin, they didn't create Bitcoin and then dump on their audience. You know, they created Bitcoin and then just said, well, good luck with all of that. So Sam Bankman Fried was always against what I loved about Bitcoin and crypto. And so I, yeah, I'm glad that it's gone. I'm glad that he is going to jail, hopefully for a really long time. And uh, yeah, and I don't stand for or support any of those scams or or anything like that. And so I'm in it for, I've always been in it for really interesting technology and the adoption of something new. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's what he was in it for. I think you're right. I think he was, I think Sam Bankman fried was in it for, uh, the perception, uh, the money, and of course the influence. It was almost weird because of like the stories that came out of this trial. Um, they all were like, and Sam really never showed any interest in the business portion of what we were doing. Just mm -hmm. the tech, like the stories of him deciding that instead of going to a meeting with Tom Brady, he would go play League of Legends with his friends. <laughs> Yeah, that is and, not and a serious like, guy. He would wear like you know he'd wear like these uh, sloppy t-shirts, and he'd he'd have some shorts and some flip flops, and he'd be on stage with like Bill Clinton and and all this stuff. And I'm just like, some people looked at that and go, oh wow, he's so edgy, he's so rich, he doesn't even care about the clothes. And I look at that just and just think about how unprofessional it was. You know, I always thought he was unprofessional. His hair was always crazy and weird and he's sleeping on a beanbag chair and he's not in like a nice office or anything. But for some some reason, people like Kevin O'Leary, Anthony Scaramucci and all of these other investment firms like Sequoia saw that as like, wow, this guy's so cutting edge. He's so fresh. You know, he doesn't even care about getting dressed. And I've heard uh, Kevin O'Leary say, look, this is what it's like in VC. You know, you see a, you see a billionaire uh, tech guru coming out of a Lambo and they're wearing all sloppy clothes like this. I was used to seeing that. And, uh, you know, maybe that's just how it is. But I don't know. At some point, you got to say, I made a big I made a big mistake here. Uh, time to apologize to everyone. who followed me. On oh, we just had some technical issues right in the middle of it. How do you apologize for stealing thirty two billion dollars from people? That's the other thing. Like I watched him in some of the trial and you see, you know, you heard stories about his parents being so upset after for him. Right. Oh, they lost their son. You got to be, you know, 32 billion from millions of people. 
and some people lost everything. Some people are homeless now because mm-hmm. of it. I'm like, oh, really? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people lost everything. A lot of people were like with the Alameda. So my understanding was is Alameda was around first, like uh, 2017. They, they do this uh, little investment software thing. And then that it was an exchange. He starts FTX. And Alameda was where all the money was. And the, the FTX was the exchange. And he would just end up pulling money out of Alameda. But when there was a run on Bitcoin, when the whole thing started, and and this was what outed him. This guy CZ at Binance was like, I think I'm going to take all my money out of FTX. And everybody started doing the same thing. He couldn't keep up because of the deposits weren't as much as the money that he had coming out on the other end, including himself. And it was all about lifestyle. Apparently, and one of the fucking great stories I heard is there was this slush fund that they had at Alameda that all the executives used, and it was unlimited. It, there were credit cards attached to it, and people could come and go as they pleased. Wow. Several of them, and apparently millions, hundreds of millions of dollars on like private jets, trips, booze, ecstasy, party. It was a big party guy. Loved throwing parties. Everything was a party. Party here, party there. But he would show up to every one of these parties for like four minutes. Mm. Like he would just because he was such a weirdo. The Sam Bankman Fried day. It was like he was so fucking awkward. And I have a friend that actually met him once. He's in, you know, the banking industry and he's captain of industry. And he met him probably two years ago. And he's like, where this guy I ever met? He's like, he'd walk up to you and he's like, all like, oh, hi, how are you? He's like, and he, and he had one of those, those dead fish handshakes. He's like, I hate those. <laughs> oh, I know. And he, like a dead fish handshake. And he's like, oh, how you doing? And then again, and he wouldn't look at anybody in the eyes. He would kind of look down and look around. His eyes were always, always darting. And I'm like, what did you make of him? And he's like, I didn't trust the guy the fucking second I saw him. But mm. somehow people did to the tune of $32 billion. I find that amazing. Like I find I think the it's whole story billion amazing. nominal value. I don't think it's it's 32 billion exactly. It's probably like because they had Scott, the FTT token. Scott, that they had, it wasn't what? exactly 32 billion that he I, stole. My understanding is that, it, that Alameda Research had an $8 billion hole. And that's that's the money. And then they ended up giving almost two or three billion dollars to CZ. And then all of these other people started calling them because the Luna, the Terra Luna collapse happened. Yeah. And then everyone was like, oh, crap, where's all of our money? And then everyone said, well, let's just why don't you just give us back your money, uh, the money that we've given you. We'll give it back later. We just want to make sure that you have it and we want to have it back. And enough people did that, that after they gave CZ money, you know, three billion dollars that they didn't have any more money left. And uh, and then that's when obviously the CoinDesk article came out. Uh, yeah. CZ says that we're gonna, we're gonna sell, liquidate the rest of this FTT token. And then that's where all the value, the value of Alameda Research and everything was locked up into this FTT token, this exchange token uh, that, you know, was just made up, made up money anyways. But the, the way that they used the FTT token was like an incentive. So if you held the FTT token and you got someone else to come on the uh, FTS, FTX exchange with your referral link, we'll give you a little extra money because you have a bunch of FTT. So that's kind of how they used it as a reward token. And it just had a boatload of value in it. And then they would use that to say, look how much we're worth because we have this on our balance sheet. And then ultimately it turned out that that was the Ponzi scheme. That was the house of cards. Uh, that came crashing down and then yeah but 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 if you take one layer off of that story you see the clear criminality and the unprofessionalism of the gentleman who's going to jail for a hundred years sam yeah you clearly see it 
but the, you know, there's a relational part that sits outside of all the tech and all the fucking numbers and how it works and exchanges. It's like this guy conned some of the most important business people in the world. Yeah. He conned some of the most incredibly smart individuals on the planet. And I wonder how much of that is we can't miss like FOMO on behalf of idiots like Kevin Leary, who clearly doesn't know how to drive a boat <laughs> or maybe it was his wife, probably his wife uh, or like a, a guy like Tom Brady. You know how many people this guy was in business with, like important people, government people, banks that were up his ass. Like how, how does he go? Like I'm amazed Green, by man. that. It's Just greed. greed. It's all greed, isn't it? It's all human nature. It's got nothing to like people with legitimate VC applications on their resume, like Kevin O'Leary. Say what you want about him being a douchebag. Guy's incredibly financially successful for a reason, right? He reads the X's and O's. He looks at prospectuses. He understands how it works. Nobody still, nobody understands how this industry works, right? Some people understand what well, how important the tech is, but everybody wanted that money for nothing. Mm -hmm. It was fascinating. Like, this is one of the more fascinating times in our lives because nobody's talking about that aspect of this, Scott. Nobody's talking about how, like, guys like Tom Brady or Kevin O'Leary or the Ontario Teachers Pension Fund, which got taken for, I don't know, $8 million, $9 million, was like, yeah, let's just shovel some money over there. Millions and millions and millions of dollars when it's so hard to make money mm -hmm. in this economy. It is fascinating. That part of the story blows my mind, Scott. Yeah, really and, and I mean, if you if you know the Bernie Madoff story, or or definitely if you have a chance, watch that story on Netflix. It is really crazy and compelling. I mean, it got to the point where they were ready to make Bernie Madoff the head of the SEC, mm -hmm. and you know, meanwhile, he's the, the, one of the biggest fraudsters in the world, much alike to to Sam Bankman-Fried in that way. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's you know, it's interesting because it's the same old story over and over again you know we have this up and rising star everyone pours into him and and everyone just relies on everyone else's research and that's what happened with sam bankman fried he got the okay from one major house one major investment firm and then people like kevin o'leary goes well if they're in then we're in oh and if tom brady's in then we're in and oh shack too okay cool then i'm in larry david he's in you know what i mean and yeah. that's just that's how it happens because people say, well, I trust their research, so I don't have to do my own. And then, you know, then there we are. I how do great think is that, that FTX commercial with Larry David, that Super Bowl commercial? How, how prescient was that? It's, so, it's still like, so good. It's it still, makes I love me, Larry David. You can't find that commercial anywhere either. Like someone's buried it because it's so hard to find where Larry David is like, you should invest in FTX. He's like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I no, know, you really should. He's like, eh, it sounds like a scam. No, and then FTX <laughs> at the end, a bunch of people with money. And then like literally four weeks later, it's like, uh, yeah, it was a that guy's a total scammer. So Bitcoin yeah. itself, the technology isn't a scam, but there are very serious scammers that knew how to take advantage and turn that into a, you can turn anything into a Ponzi scheme. That's what Amway is. Of course, the first option out of the gate for people that have access to this incredible technology and are also basement dwelling virgins like Sam Bankman-Fried, of course they're going to apply some negativity to it right out of the gate and go, let's Ponzi scheme the shit out of this thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, we saw it, we, we've seen this, like I said, over and over again. If there's money involved, there's going to be someone who's going to try and figure out how to scam it from other people. Uh, it's, you know, it's just a sad, uh, it's a sad state of the internet, uh, really, because 
I think a lot of really good technology ended up being kind of pushed to the side. Uh, and, and now we may never figure out which, you know, some technology that might have been good that now is irrelevant because the price went down so much that people just gave up on it and they blew up. But uh, oh, yeah, that's how markets work. Eye. Yeah. You know, th um, that's how markets work. And the best technology will always come to the top. The, the cream always rises to the top. And that's why we're seeing tokens like Solana and Chainlink, you know, do uh, do 100% uh, moves uh, just in this year alone. So, you know, there is still opportunity within the mess. And I think, you know, I keep telling people that now's a great time to learn about the technology because I think that things are just getting started again. Uh, and, and that's the time to do it. Not when price is going like this and then you just feel the need to FOMO in. And that's how a lot of people lost their money last time, Dean, is they saw it on the news. They heard yeah. people talking about it. I came on the podcast going, Bitcoin's going to the moon. And then they're just piling in no matter what. Uh, they put risk to the side because they just want number go up. And then eventually numbers stop going up and number go down and they go, oh, oh, well, it's his fault. It's his fault. I lost all this money. It no, is. It is actually is a Sam Bankman Freed's fault. It is. But it's your fault, yeah. too, for getting emotional, like emotional investing. They say is bad. Right. That's what I hear. totally. And That's so, all Bitcoin know, was, dude. Mm -mm. For a lot of well, not for you, because you're a fucking educator. <laughs> but I mean, for the average moron. Oh, yeah. Like totally. Tom Brady. No, it's just else, like, it's like, you know, but made, it's like, good. I think was, I doubled his money in a month. Count me in. Here's 10 million. It was good for me to go through that, though, because I've never been through a cycle like that in my life where I've seen something go from like 0% to 500% down to like, you know, down 95%. I've never been through anything like that in my life. And so the last couple of, uh, you know, the last year and a half or so, I've learned a ton about myself as an investor uh, in terms of risk tolerance, anxiety, you know what I mean? What I can handle, what I can't handle. And ultimately, you know, I look at this as a lesson. It's made me a better investor now because I, I focus more on quality assets and, and whatnot. So, the, you know, the people that follow me at Crypto Market Mentor, they're benefiting this year because I suggested them buy Solana when it was around 20 bucks. And now it's up to, you know, 40 bucks and stuff like that. And so, you know, I look at this as a, as a learning opportunity. And I think that that's the best way to do it. Even if you did lose money. Okay. I lost money here. This investment idea didn't work out. How can I learn? How can I get better for next time? Because markets are cycles. They go up, they go down. And, you know, if you do enough research, you can actually make life-changing money. Well, and this is my point is that people like you are smart enough to understand that there's a play here that doesn't include getting rich quick, right? You're, you're, you yeah. understand the technology in terms of what it can do in the financial industry, speed of use, being able to package up your finances. Like the technology is bulletproof. It really, really is. And it continues to evolve if you understand, which I don't, but everybody I talk to understands is like, dude, this is like the future of banking. It's just a matter of, it's like the bastard child of banking right now for some reason, because all these bros and incels used it to, you know, shovel money into other countries and hide money and screw people and all that stuff. But when it gets regulated, it's going to be an, uh, an in-demand technology for every financial institution across the world because it can be so secure and so instant, right? Yeah. Very much unlike what we see today when someone wires you something, it is a massive pain in the ass. You got to check this. You got to check that. You got to make sure that's done. This done. There might be a hold. No, uh-uh. Not only three is days, it, it, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. Everything I, is in front of you.
And that's what we're going to see coming out eventually. It's not going to all happen all at once, but, you know, eventually we are going to be able to transact at the speed of light. Uh, you know, there's there's technology now like Solana, for example, and they're working on their chain doing a million transactions per second. One million transactions per second. To put that in perspective, Twitter is about 24,000 transactions per second. So they want to go up to a million and higher than a million. And so people like, you know, if you have a business and you got to send money to your bank or your bank's got to send money to you, it's going to happen like that. It's going to be finalized within an hour rather than a day. If I buy a stock right now on the stock market, it actually doesn't get settled in my account technically for a few days. There's a, you know, it's a T plus whatever based on whatever broker you have before that transaction of me buying a stock gets settled in my account because of just how slow the system is. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be dematerialized. You know, it's all happening, but it's happening slow. And, uh, and so I just think in the next, you know, eight years, this is going to be a really exciting thing. But like I said before, I don't know what this technology is going to do. Maybe you're right. Maybe it is all BS. Maybe it is all a Ponzi. I, I didn't say it was. I didn't say it was all BS. I just said. It's I know. I heard BS. what you said before, but I've also, you know, I'm remembering those tweets, and uh, you know, but uh, maybe that's true. But I also know that a, a bunch of money can be made in speculating in technology, just like in the year 2000, where we had that big, you know, 2000 tech boom, and then we had the bust. But what came out of that? Apple, Google. Facebook, you know, all of these different technologies came out of that. And so, you know, while the dust settles, I think it's a great time to pay attention to it. And I'm glad that Sam Bankman Freed's going to jail. The less people like that, that are trying to make the technology about themselves, trying to just have control, trying to have influence, whether it's on the Democratic side, which he was a big donor to, but he also donated money, dark money to the Republican side. So he didn't care. He just wanted to control everything. And that's not what it's all about. It's about putting the control in your hands, my hands, and, and allowing us all to have more control over our assets so that we can tokenize things like our house. We can, you know, take a loan out, uh, you know, maybe a, a quick loan versus the value of our home, do it in, on our phone and we don't have to fill out tons of papers and do 10 trips to the bank and just make things a little more streamlined. You know, I can go on my mortgage account and it can tell me exactly how much I owe on my house. But what if I'm like, ah, you know what? I actually don't want a big line of credit right now, but I'd like to take some money out against my home so that we can get this new car. Uh, maybe I'll do that. And maybe my mortgage uh, broker will give me a lower interest rate than the bank. And so that puts, you know, more money in my pocket as opposed to more money in the bank's pocket. Like that technology is just being built right now where mm -hmm. you can tokenize the value of all of your assets. What if I took out a loan versus, you know, one of my favorite hockey cards or one of my favorite like pieces of artwork that has a lot of value? Like the tokenization of real world assets hasn't even started. And I think it's going to just give so much more value to people where you can actually take a loan out against something that you're talking about time sharing artifacts and memorabilia, right? You're talking about time, like that's really what it is. You're talking about selling a token that represents a piece of something that you own that is real. And that has, you're right. That hasn't started yet. But to me, that makes all the fucking sense in the world. You can, you're our co-ops that do that now where you can like buy a piece of art, but you can buy a portion of the actual art, but it's mm -hmm. a physical thing. But that is like that, that's that's on a ledger. You're talking about a, like a, a legitimate electronic ledger that can make that work, right? That's yeah, a token and, and that I you mean, own the token. 
Yeah, exactly. And so that's the kind of stuff that I'm I'm like deep into right now where I'm like, wow, this makes total sense to me. Totally. How do I invest in that? And so that's what I spend my time doing. And so, like I said, as much as I, uh, you know, uh, hate the black mark that Sam Bankman Freed has left on this industry because it does make a lot of these tokens look like scams. There's also a handful of these tokens that have real technology that are that's going to change our lives in the future. And I can't wait to see that happen. How do you think he'll do in prison? I think he's going to ask for the internet. Um, and I think they'll probably give it to him because I don't know. Have you seen him though? Like, have you seen how soft and milky white he is? <laughs> I haven't seen him lately. I I've oh. only seen the drawings and the drawings Dude. are so terrible. He looks awful. Like do you have a picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got a picture right here. I'm going to pull it up. He looks like he looks terrible. He's had like his I, 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 I mean, you've seen court sketch room, uh, courtroom sketches of him. But I haven't seen like I haven't seen like a picture video of him since he got arrested. But before he got arrested, he looked like ass. Like he looked like a soft, milky, gooey. There's that video of him running in the Bahamas. Remember that? Remember that him running in the Bahamas <laughs> yeah. video? Remember running that? down the that? sidewalk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Classic. yeah, he's running down the sidewalk and he's like, and he's running and he was shuffling his feet and he's like probably about six foot one and he's like, he's very soft. And he comes from two parents who babied him and helicoptered him into the best schools in the world. And I'm like, that guy is going to go to jail for a hundred years. I would be shocked. Because of how many people he stole from as well that probably know other guys on the inside. I would be shocked that if he makes it past his second shower. <laughs> Seriously. That guy, that guy is like the softest dude on the planet. And he's going to go to like a federal pound you in the you know what prison in the United States of America for a hundred years. I mean, it's going to be a tough go for Sam Bankman Freed, dude. There he is. Look at him sitting on the beanbag chair at work. Huh. Oh, man. He's not going to do well. Like, he, he's he got terrible prison face. <laughs> prison face. <laughs> I wonder if he's going to cut his hair. I think that could be a new reinvented Sam. I don't know. Uh, his bunkmates probably want him to keep it. Oh, my goodness. Handlebars. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going there. Ah, oh, Diener, this has been a lot of fun, brother. Thanks hey, so much thanks for, for doing thanks. This. And thank you for having an open mind. I know, you know, I know where your heart's at uh, when it comes to this stuff. I know you have people's what, Bitcoin? interest. No, in I mind. listen, I, I'll tell you, can I tell you the truth? It's just fun making fun of people that tried to get rich quick, that got hosed, that never understood any of it. Right. Yeah. Like Pierre Polyev, leader of Canadians uh, of Canada's uh, opposition party. Like a year and a half ago, he's like running around with shawarmas going, I bought this with Bitcoin. Let's yeah, go yeah, Bitcoin. Yeah, and then it zeros out and everybody gets taken out. And he pretends he never said it. And I fucking love feeding that to people. I think it's great. But I now I'm starting to understand the technology is really the most important part and what it can do for the financial industry, not the financial industry, but you as well, how instantaneous it is and how it works. I'm a fan. I just don't get it. Right. Like I, I need to get it, which is why I want to have these conversations with you. Talking about Sam being some guy's prison wallet is also fun for me. There's some entertainment <laughs> value there. But but this is a fucking cool time because it's like it's not just about, you know, Bitcoin and the Wild West and how, you know, and it happens with every industry it happened with like cannabis, right? Cannabis industry. Everybody comes in heavy. 
all the bad people profit take. Now the cannabis industry in this country is just in the shitter because it's of it. Drag. It's trying to find its footing and you're going to have the serious people prop it up. Regulations are going to have to change to make it successful. So it's all trial and error. But generally speaking, that's what we just saw with Bitcoin, right? We saw all the bad people that, you know, hit out in their parents' basements and were mad at popular jocks out there that made money the old fashioned way. They earned it. They got beat up and sand kicked in their face. Just sit there and code their little tiny wieners off while their parents are upstairs going, it's time for dinner, honey. And he's like 30. <laughs> yeah. And they invent and they're making Bitcoin. scam coins in their basement and dumping on randos on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Totally, dude. Like that's what we just went through. Like, yeah. I, like I think that everybody understands that. I understand that. And if I understand that, and it's the same thing in the podcast industry too, when it comes to programmatic ads, how to make money, how the algorithm works, like the, anything goes. It's why Joe Rogan has 11 million subscribers, 12 million subscribers, because like seven of them he pays for in Indonesia and they sit there and listen and listen and listen. So he's got the biggest pot. <laughs> like everything is performative and all the bad people want to keep it performative before they get to a point where it actually works for people. Worked in the cannabis industry like that, which was new. Same thing with crypto. Same thing with podcasting, digital online listening. I mean, nothing really is what it seems and nothing is really based on merit until you go through and this has been one of the most expensive case studies in the world, like billions, tens of billions of dollars people have lost in that industry, crypto. But it's a case study, right? It's a real life case study where people were smart enough to get it to market, smart enough to use it to make you feel something, smart enough to get you to give them their money, smart enough, most of them, to get out before Sam they got Sam Bankman freeded, right? Yeah. But <clears throat> I find it a fascinating story and an incredible subject, too when it comes to what it can do for people, because I'm only now starting to understand what the technology is and that is what it's worth, right? Yeah. That is what it's worth. However many people want to get into that technology bubble, buy into what that is and the infrastructure of that so it can make it work for them. It's just the industry that has to get it, right? And then the people will follow. But dude, I, I think it's awesome. And you you actually educate people for this, right? You've got uh, at stockmarketmentor.com. Don't you have a cool little spinoff where you're like, hey, I'm going to teach you about crypto responsibly. Is that not correct? Yeah. So we have a service uh, at Stock Market Mentor called Crypto Market Mentor. And it's just me educating people on a daily basis. I mm -hmm. do three plus videos a week, plus, uh, you know, actionable ideas that I share, things that I'm doing. You know, if people want to go, Scott, what's your portfolio like? Well, here it is. And I'll, and, you know, tell them what, it, what I'm into, why I'm into it. And then I also do uh, tutorials about, you know, charting, technical analysis, um, you know, how to get onboarded onto an exchange, what tokens are all about, you know, what is the deal with Solana? What is the deal with Chainlink? Why is Bitcoin a thing? Why does it have value? You know, all those questions that you uh, ask yourself, uh, you know, I help people kind of understand. And I try and do it in a layman's terms because, you know, I wasn't someone who was into Bitcoin in 2018 and ran that whole thing, you know, when it went up from 2000 to 20,000. Uh, you know, I knew about it. I saw it on the news like everybody else. But, you know, I really got into Bitcoin just from my brother-in-law telling me about it and then being able to read charts. And so if you can do technical analysis and you can trade stocks, I tell people you can trade crypto because it trades very technically. And if you can do chart analysis, uh, you know, it trades beautifully. 
uh, on a chart. So yeah, um, see, I want to take the course now. Part of me is like, oh, I should probably take that fucking course. <laughs> I'll send you some videos, my man. I'll send you some. No, 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 no. I want to take the course. Uh, where can people just go to stockmarketmentor.com or can they just hit you up on Twitter if they DM you? What's the best way yeah. to get a hold of you to get get subscribed? Because this is, listen, like the profit taking's done by and large. Um, the real winners are going to stick around for a period of time and it is going to mean something to this industry. So get educated. How can people get a, get in touch with you? Yeah. Twitter.com slash uh, Scott trades easiest way. I got some links up there or you mm -hmm. can go to stockmarketmentor.com slash crypto and then yeah, sign up. It's $7, seven us dollars for 30 days for your first 30 days. And, and again, you know, you can, Join, you can take the tutorials and then you can cancel and you'll probably leave way smarter. And we're never trying to sell anything. Like I'm never trying to like, oh, you got to get in on this. This is the next big thing. I'm always like, huh, this is what I think of it. Maybe it's good, maybe it's not, but here's what it's doing. And so it's really kind of uh, loosey-goosey. I think we have a really good community that that I'm trying to build with Crypto Market Mentor. And so yeah, Scott, uh, Scott Trades on Twitter, probably the easiest way. Dude, awesome to have you. I had a fun time today, just chopping it up. Uh, yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, like a, one of those little fun conversations you have where you're catching up with guys, you're talking about old school shit, and then you're getting into the new stuff you don't understand, and you're perfect this. Dude, thanks for explaining a bunch of stuff to me today. Thanks for having some fun. And uh, let's come up with like a pool to see how long it takes for Sam Bankman-Fried to be someone's pocket. <laughs> I, think, I think we'll find out. I heard that it's going to take like four months before we actually get the sentencing. What do you think it is know. over under? Think he gets a hundred years? He's 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 in line for a hundred and one max. So I say he gets sixty. Yeah, I was gonna go forty. I think like 40. he gets Madoff time. Yeah, I th I think so. But uh, Madoff, when he gets out, his his lovely parents will both be dead. Yeah, I think they'll let him out when he's old. I don't think he'll keep they'll keep him in there for the full one hundred. Uh, but uh, I, I believe Bernie Madoff ended up killing himself. Uh, and so it, it never really ends died well of like for these pancreatic people. cancer in prison. I don't know if I don't know if Madoff killed himself. Oh, was it cancer? Oh. Yeah, yeah, you know what? Maybe on. you're right. I don't know. I'll watch the documentary again this weekend and and uh, find out. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna watch it too. Uh, yeah, he died April 14, 2021. How did he die? Dies in prison at 82. Uh, hang on, hang on. Let me give everybody the good news. Died in prison at 82. Uh, natural causes related to failing health. Oh, okay. All right. That's like he was a Ponzi schemer for like 30 years ago. He had a great run. Yeah. And, Would you and take again, here's he, a question. Here's a question. Sure. Would you take <laughs> oh Would you would you yeah, like well, keep in mind you're 40. Would you have taken 20 of the best or sorry, 3 of the best financial years of your life where you could come and go as you please or 30 years of your life like Madoff in exchange for the rest of your life in prison? Hmm. That's a tough trade-off. Um, I, I probably um, made off, I think, because it's a longer a time. <laughs> you know, uh, 30 years, they thought he they thought he was like a masterful investor. Yeah. And meanwhile, you know, on a floor ben beneath him, they're they're squandering all of this money and, and whatnot. So definitely check out that uh, Madoff documentary on Netflix, Dean. It is really, I mean, it's. I'll say this, it's sad. It's really sad because you find out all of these people that got affected you know, not not just including celebrities, but just people who like met Bernie Madoff at like a dinner party and were like, oh, I like this guy. I'm going to give him my life savings. Oh, and like then Kevin Bacon. The, That's what Kevin Bacon did, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And and then they end up with nothing at the end of it. And so yeah. it's really it really is sad. The impact that people like Sam Bankman-Fried and Bernie Madoff have. 
And like I said, the less uh, amount of people, them, uh, the, the less amount of those people in the market, the better, I think. Yeah, totally. More people like you, the better too. Thanks, Scotty. Great to see you. See you, buddy. Scott Trades, stockmarketmentor.com uh, slash crypto if you want to learn about the business. I'm not down on it. I just love the mocking game behind it. Like, totally dig it. I don't care who you are. Because most of the people that were like stumping for crypto for a long period of time were just like obnoxious dicks. Guys that were like pouring, you know, champagne on their Rolexes at 22 in Vegas with all their other 22 year old buddies, everybody sharing the same woman so they could get the same chlamydia. Like those guys. It was fun roasting those guys. This Canadian politician called PP, literally standing on a stage doing television commercials saying, to hedge against inflation. Invest your life savings in Bitcoin. Zeroed out like five days later. So that kind of stuff. But the technology's got to be sound. Anyway, thanks, everybody. Appreciate you being here. Have a wonderful day, everybody. We appreciate you being here. Uh, don't forget everything we do at crier.co. Rate, subscribe, review, YouTube, Crier Media as well. Dean Blundell Show on YouTube. You can find everything we do on my link tree as well. Uh, that is a Twitter. You go to It's Dean Blundell on Twitter. You can get everything there. Have everybody. Have a nice day. Talk to you soon. Come on, let's go to the blue hotel. I want to live at the blue hotel. The podcast that goes everywhere the imagination dares. It's for the open minded, the pleasure seeker. It's Jeff Woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality, theme-based with special guests, the Blue Hotel Hotline, and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story. Get a room and listen in at the Blue Hotel. Begins Friday, September 23rd. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.